Hello and welcome to Rasslin Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ, also online at RadioNorthland.org. That's where you can listen to us live and in the moment, or you could check out some of our archives. I'm Glenn Bragata here once again as we are now into the month of December. Got a few more Rasslin Memories episodes left here before we wrap up 2021. My co-host who I chat with, uh, yes, in this little old program, is down there deep in the heart of Texas, and I'm going to welcome him right now to the conversation. Mr. Mike McCurdy. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Getting ready for getting ready for Christmas and all that. Gotta go do all the present shopping and get the kids all situated. And, you know, looking forward to the holiday season. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, looking forward to uh, you know, some more wrestling memories. Like you said, we got a couple more uh, you know, episodes in the can yeah. coming up. So And uh, you, you I know you tried your best earlier this week. I was back last weekend. To try to get me to enjoy some holiday music, you were picking. You were you were really adamant about this Steve Perry holiday record, and you were and you were actually defending "Wonderful Christmas Time" from Paul McCartney. Man, I don't know if you're gonna get me. I don't know if you're gonna tap into me on this whole thing, man. You know, "Wonderful Christmas Time." It's like one of my favorite songs. I oh. I love bad Chris. I love bad Christmas music though. Oh. The worse the song, the more I like it sometimes. But I, I enjoy "Wonderful Christmas Time." And if you haven't listened to the Steve Perry album, it is classic Steve Perry. Is it something I would put on my, you know, and my playlist on a regular basis? No, but it's classic Steve Perry. It was fun to hear that voice. So, you know, it, it was an enjoyable listen. Hey, I didn't mind the Bob Dylan Christmas record, but that was like 12 years ago. So I guess I, I own that one. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a completist. You know, I got a Bob Dylan collection. I had to get it for that, but. Every once in a while, I'll throw it on around the holidays, you know. But I don't dabble too far into that holiday music, though, man. I'm just uh, happy to actually have a voice. We had to take the, the week off last week because I was dealing with, uh, uh, you know, being ill, getting the crud, but not the COVID. I, I tested negative, so I was just dealing with a head cold and a lot of coughing. Yeah, a lot of sore throat, just no voice. But I'm, I'm glad to be uh, back. You and, I, you and I both. We both were dealing. See, look at this. We were both on the injured reserve list for for wrestling memories. Yeah, we 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 determined that uh, we would not have been a pleasant interview, so we had to reschedule. Before, uh, mm-hmm. But before we get on with the show, I would like to uh, say, you know, let's give a little shout out to uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Just announced a couple of days ago, prior to this recording, that he is now cancer free. He had the surgery and all that. Went in, got his tests, and everything's good. Hacksaw beat it. I'm going to let you kind of do the honors. I saw this. I'm going to have to read this book. This is one of those I got to add. I have a pile of books I still got to get to, but this is one I, I'm really, uh, I'm interested in talking with uh, the author today about. Uh, Mike, I want to let you uh, t- fill in the listeners and introduce our guest here on this edition of Rasslin' Memories. I think we got ourselves a, a main event here. This is going to be a fun interview. A uh, very interesting story how I found out about not only this book, but of our guest this week. Um, doing my usual Amazon Kindle search, you know, looking at wrestling books, I've come across this title, Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Wrestling History. That right there is going to get my Oh, name. that sells it right there. I, I take a look. Right, exactly. I take a look at it. I decide, you know what? I purchased it for the Kindle. I take a look through. It was a fun read. And then just a few weeks ago, I'm sitting at home, probably watching wrestling as I normally do, and I get a message from a past guest, Ian Douglas, asking me if We'd like to book his friend, Phil Schneider, as a guest on our show. The name, the name did not click with me at the time, but he said, oh, yeah, he wrote this book. And he sends me a link to Amazon for Way of the Blade. Immediately, oh, I love the book. I want to talk about this book. I'd love to talk with this guy. Let's get him on the show. And that we did. It, it took a couple weeks. You know, third time is a charm. We kept having to reschedule due to, as Glenn and I said, the crud. But, you know, we've got him on this week. We're going to talk about Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Wrestling History. I just love that title. And we are going to talk a little bit of wrestling with our guest today, Mr. Phil Schneider. Phil, welcome to the show. Appreciate you guys having me on. Should be a lot of fun. Oh, definitely. Like I said, you know, I came across this book purely. I, I had not heard of it. I saw it listed on the Kindle. The title got my attention. I had to pick it up. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved reading it, the illustrations in it. It's an illustrated book, by the way. The illustrations in it are great, you know, and it's a fun read. It's, it's, it's light. It's easy. You know, it's not heavy. It's something you can just sit down, enjoy, come back to it later, finish it up. But it was a great read. But I'd like to know is, you know, first off, what is your background in professional wrestling? Kind of how did you get your start in all this? And 
you know, what led to the decision to make the right way of the blade? Well, I sort of started out um, as one of the founding members of the Death Valley Driver video review, which is one of the sort of really first big wrestling message boards on the internet. Uh, Dean Rasmussen started, had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, prominence in the, in the early 2000s. Um, we started around then and it became a sort of a big thing on the internet for many years. I've got a blog, Segunda Caida, which I've been doing on my own for, for about 10 or 12 years. So I've written and been writing about wrestling and doing reviews and kind of doing a, the similar thing I do in the way of the blade book for a very long time. Um, and, uh, one of the, the publisher of this, uh, John Stone's the guy who's written a bunch of, uh, biography books on both wrestling and MMA. He's the guy I've known through that world for a long time. And when he sort of started, uh, book publishing, uh, imprint, I kind of, you know, pitched him something and said, Hey, I'd love to do this. And then, uh, we sort of got together and hooked up with this, uh, artist, Chris Bryan from Australia. who's a really, really talented artist and put it together. What made you decide that it was going to be, you know, way of the blade. What was it about the bloody wrestling matches that, that got your attention that you wanted, you decided I want to write about this. Well, you know, I, obviously, you know, being a wrestling fan for as many, for as many years as I've been, you're, you're a fan of a fan of like brawls and I'm a fan of blood. And, but I also thought it was a good sort of, you know, I, I wanted to write about a lot of very different wrestling from all around the world and all throughout history, uh, which I do in the book. I cover, uh, I cover, you know, Mexico and Japan, France and, uh, all the different U S territories and stuff matches from the fifties, all the way to something from, you know, 2015. And I sort of used blood as like a way to say, all right, this is how I'm going to narrow down a little bit what I'm going to write about in my book, right? I've got to have some sort of structure to talk about this, but you know, there's blood in all kinds of different wrestling and it kind of gives an opportunity to say, all right, I want, if I want to talk about UWFI in Japan, I can find a UWFI match that's got some blood in it. If I want to talk about uh, Mexico, there's certainly a ton of blood in Mexico. If I want to write about some of the great moments of when I was growing up in the 80s, you know, the 80s was sort of the period where I was, you know, the height of my wrestling fandom. I can talk about uh, Magnum TA, Tully Blanchard, or I can talk about Jerry Lawler, Dutch Mantel. It sort of fits that. So that was kind of the idea. I use it as an opportunity to sort of put some structure towards uh, wanting to write about wrestling from all throughout the world and all throughout history. Now, the title itself, as we've read a couple times now, Away of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Wrestling History. Not necessarily, people need to understand this, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Wrestling History, not necessarily 100 of the classic bloody matches in wrestling history. Because you start off with Dr. Adolf Kaiser versus Michael... Chesney, I'm not sure. Pardon me if I don't Ch pronounce that name. Chesney, baby. I don't. I, I don't. Chesney. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of the same thing. And then you end with Blue Diamond, Blue Demon Junior versus Doctor Wagner Junior. You've got Cody versus Dustin Rhodes, which is obviously from the AEW a couple years ago. Uh, so not not like I said, not a hundred classic matches. You explain that in your introduction, but a hundred of the the greatest. How did you start piecing this together and decide what matches made the cut, what didn't, what did you want to put in, what did you not want to put in, and were there some matches that you didn't put in just based on the fact that, you know, pretty much everybody on God's green earth has seen them? Well, I've got, I've, I think I cover some of the real classics in here. You know, I've got an essay on Bret Hart, Steve Austin. I've got an essay on, you know, Magnum T.A. Tully and, and uh, you know, Piper Valentine and, Buzz Sawyer, Tommy Rich. I think I do cover some of the big ones. I, I kind of, you know, just put together a sort of a big list of a whole bunch of different things. And there was, you know, a lot of different things I wanted to talk about. Right. So I, I, the way stuff got cut mostly was, do I feel like I covered that style or that wrestler or that, you know, era enough that I didn't need to do an additional essay on it. Um, and then, you know, it was funny, the structure of it was like, I put together an initial hundred, uh, matches gave the list to Chris, the illustrator, and he drew faster than I wrote. So there were definitely times where I uh, was wanted to swap something out because I either saw a match I hadn't seen or remembered a match I had kind of forgotten about, wanted to add it. I would, you know, uh, send an email to Chris, hey, did you already write 
do art for this match. I was thinking about swapping it out. Then he'd send me the art. It'd be incredible. And I'd be like, all right, that's fine. All right, that's that match anyway. I probably, I, I think I probably would have cut one of the two Prada Morgan matches in here. I kind of cover Prada as a fascinating figure, but I felt like I covered him in, in the El Dandy match. Maybe didn't need to cover him in the Throne match or vice versa. But by the time I, I kind of figured that out, Chris had already done the art. I I left plenty of room to do a sequel. I probably am going to at some point. Yeah, you know, there are matches on there are matches in hindsight people have brought up to me. Hey Phil, how could you not have it in there? And I just you know slap my forehead like, oh, how could I not have that on there? What am I crazy? Like I don't have a I don't have a, you, talk, you mentioned Hacks on Jim Duggan. I don't have Duggan DiBiase uh, all the gimmicks in the cage with the tuxedos in here. And there's no thing I can explain outside the fact of. You know, at some point I realized I didn't have it in there and it was too late to put it in. So it'll be a headliner for Way of the Blade, too. Um, although I do have Duggan's Fuzz Slurs. So there's some Duggan is represented in the book. And the other thing is I, I wanted to, the thing that I think I've always done as a writer throughout the years that I've been doing this, my sort of, it is finding the things on the margin, the things that aren't, aren't well known, the things that uh, people haven't seen, sort of saying, hey, you know what? Uh, this is this match isn't the match that everybody's heard of, but it's as good, and it, it'd be an opportunity. Like I, I don't think there's very many people, if anyone, who have gotten this book and who have seen all hundred matches, because there's some stuff in here. I, I got some stuff that is pretty deep cut. But I, you know, if somebody checks this book out and decides they want to uh, get their hands on Slim J versus Corey Hollis in Yard Call from the Anarchy Wrestling in 2018, that match is awesome. It would be it's really cool that if that this might give a chance for folks to read the book and then find and watch some stuff that they may not have uh, heard of or seen or find a style that they hadn't necessarily thought about before or find a wrestler that might be one of their new favorites that they never heard of before. I mean, that's the great thing about professional wrestling as an art form. There's so much of it and it's gone from so in so many different cultures and, and countries and, and it, you know, you can, no matter how much you watch, and I've watched Lord knows as much as anyone ever there's always something new to discover in the, in the process. Well, see, that's what I did when I discovered the book and I started reading through it. There were matches, and like you said in here, that I'm like, okay, I've, I, know, I know who that is. I've never seen that match. There were a couple matches, like I said, that first one, can't even pronounce people's name. But, you know, there is footage out there. So I started piecing through. I have not seen all 100, but I have started piecing through and looking for all of these matches because after reading, you know, your description of them and seeing the illustrations, it made it more interesting and I wanted to kind of go see the, the visual and the actual match that goes with the story. So in that aspect, you know, you're hundred percent uh, successful in my opinion. I think people are going to read this book. They're going to look at this and they're going to want to see, well, I want to see that match. You know, even our you know younger uh, listeners who are watching, listen, pick up this book, you know, they're not going to, you know, they're going to know Cody versus Dustin. Okay. Cause obviously AEW, but you know, they may not have seen Roddy Piper versus Greg Valentine, which obviously we have. That's a great match. Also, the last battle of Atlanta, Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer. I love that match. I have seen that match so many times. I can call it myself in the every spot in the cage. It's a great match. So your book appeals to older and younger because the older you know, readers are going to be reminiscing. Oh, I remember that. Oh, I want to go see that again. But then you're going to have your younger uh, readers that are going to be reading it going, I kind of want to see this now. And you're going to open up you know, a window to that audience, the matches they haven't seen, wrestlers they haven't seen. I think that's great because, you know, like all historians, you're opening up a window to wrestling history that, you know, otherwise would be closed. Yeah. And, and for folks that are listening to this, if you Google Way of the Blade Viewer's Guide uh, on the Hybrid Shoe website, which is the publishing house that published this, we've got a list of all the matches in the book that have YouTube links to everything that's on YouTube. So you can just click on that, that big list and find anything that's on YouTube. And anything that is not on YouTube uh, is not linked on this, but I have my DMs are open on Twitter and I got copies of all this stuff. So I can, you know, I could, we can go back behind the, the, the bleachers and, and, do, and, and I'll slip you this match like I was selling you weed in high school or something like that. I, I'll get you this. Uh, I'll get anyone who's listening to this or anybody that's the book. Uh, and wants to see anything, it's all, uh, I, I can get your hands on it for sure. Cause I do think one of the real uh, pleasures I've gotten out of this whole process is sharing stuff. I love with folks who haven't seen it. Phil's got the hookup, you know, the, the little backyard drug dealer, you know, just kind of, exactly. I got, 
I got, I got, I got, I got the hookup. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned the match from 57 with the guys you couldn't pronounce. So I was going to talk a little about that as a, as a, as a project. One of the things that we've been doing over at Segunda Caída, uh, which is my blog, um, is we got our hands on French wrestling footage. Uh, the French wrestling film archives. And let's, we're not going to discuss here how we got our hands on it, but let's just say we got our hands on it. And we have been reviewing over the last year or so this treasure trove of French professional wrestling from 19, around 1956 was the first match, and it goes through the 1980s. And there are like hundreds of matches. And all of this stuff, for the most part, was not available. Even I was, you know, started my wrestling fandom as pretty hardcore tape trader back in the days when people used to tape trade. They used to make mixtapes and sell them over the internet. Like uh, they were called Schneider cops. A lot of people, how, how people even have heard of me is they bought a tape from me, you know, 15 years ago when I was selling them out of my, uh, you know, college dorm room, 20 bucks longer than that. Um, so but we got our hands on this footage from France. And it's been one of the cooler wrestling things I've ever done is we've gone through this, this style of wrestling that I don't think anybody had hardly ever watched. And there are some real, absolute classics uh, during that period with guys, you know, wrestlers that you've heard of, guys like Eduardo, tons of Eduardo Carpatier, for example. And there's some very young Andre the Giant when he's like, you know, two or three years into his career. Uh, slim and handsome. You know, beating people up. And then obviously, in legends like, you know, um, uh, Angel, uh, French, the French Angel, and, and those guys as well as uh, tons of new wrestlers that you've not new. I mean, that's 30, it's 50 years, 56 years old, but guys you've never heard of, we go, oh man, this guy's one of the all time greats. Um, so that's one of the cool things we've been doing. That match you're talking about, with those two guys, Kaiser versus Shinny, it's a hell of a match. And Kaiser is a, is a great wrestling character, a guy who's doing a Nazi gimmick in 1950s France, where they were very, very, uh, not very far removed from the actual Nazis. Uh, you know, occupying the country. It's different. You do a Nazi gimmick and uh, Baird von Rasky's doing one in 1982 in Minnesota than Dr. Kaiser's doing one in 1957 in Paris. It's always fun when you find the, uh, like you said, this, this French wrestling footage or the classics. Is, it's like, you know, you, you're finding something you haven't seen before and it opens up a whole new door. And that's always the fun part about, you know, historical research and things like that. It's, it's uncovering those hidden gems and, you know, Sometimes you get to experience and see things you haven't seen before. That's always that's always fun. I mean, it's a cool thing about being a wrestling fan, right? There's no scores. There's no 1977 Martin Scorsese film that nobody's ever seen. But you know, there are matches. There are iconic all-time great wrestling matches that are have that have been sort of you know stuck in a box somewhere and just get released for whatever reason that you know hadn't been part of the canon before. I I, I cover a Harley race. Terry Funk match from 1977 in Houston uh, that's uh, about, you know, 50-minute NWA title match that's as good as any NWA title match that we have on tape. But it only just showed up, you know, five, six years ago when uh, the NWA started releasing some of that Houston footage. There was like a, a year period where they were putting that stuff out on the internet. And, you know, there was a subscription service and then it disappeared again, but that was something that only popped up then. I mean, it hadn't been something that anybody had seen before that, but that's as good, you know, that match is as good as Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, or, or, you know, any of the really iconic NWA title matches that we had as kids. And so that's cool. I mean, you don't get, that is, that's something that out of being an art form, it's not like there's an unreal, you guys were mentioning Dylan. It's not like Bob Dylan did an incredible album in you know 1965 and that never got released you get outtakes and stuff like that but nothing is as uh as um you know vibrant as the stuff that like you know that funk race match or the french stuff which is you know as a fan you never knew existed now when you started putting together the book and you decided you know you started piecing together the matches and which ones you want to include uh what was your you know what was your criteria you know, what were you looking for specifically to kind of, you know, pick which match goes in and at what time frame and why this match over that match or that wrestler over this wrestler? You know, kind of what was the selection process? So I needed that blood, right? 
although it didn't need to have, this isn't the hundred bloodiest matches in professional wrestling history. There's some matches in here that are incredibly bloody, but there are also matches where the blood is a, is a bloody nose or a bloody mouth or something like that. But if you, if I saw red, it would count. And mainly it just was, you know, like I wanted to, there are wrestlers that I wanted to talk about and there are wrestling styles I wanted to talk about. And I wanted to sort of, you know, find some stuff that people hadn't seen. And so I kind of just put the list together like that and like, you know, okay, I, I want to write about uh, Bruno. So I'm going to put a couple Bruno matches in there and I want to write about uh, the four horsemen. So I'm going to put in war games and I want to write about uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara is one of my all time favorite wrestlers. So I'm going to put in a couple of his matches and I want to, I, I nothing. Uh, my favorite things in the world is are great, uh, Lucha Plessis, hair matches or mask matches. So I'm going to find some really awesome ones of those. Not hard to find those that have blood in them. And I'm going to write about those. And I wanted to, you know, talk about the early 2000s uh, U.S. indie scene, which was something that I went to a ton of shows uh, when I was living on the East Coast in like 2000, you know, one to like 2006. That period of like Ring of Honor and IWA Mid South and that whole period was something I had a lot of fondness for. So I wanted to find some cool matches of that. And, you know, so it was kind of just like that. I, you know, I, I wanted to dip into all of my favorite little periods of uh, professional wrestling. Uh, and I've got a lot of sort of esoteric favorites, right? So, you know, I, I love the, I love the Mexican independence scene in like the early 2010s. I thought it's some amazing stuff. So I wanted to write about some of that. So it was a lot of that kind of thing where I was just like, what, what do I, you know, I want to talk about the, I want to talk about the classics, but I also want to talk about some things that I, you know, I love and maybe people don't know so much about. I mean, have you ever seen any IWRG? No, 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 I haven't. IWRG is awesome. <laughs> you should, some of that stuff, some of the stuff I wrote in the book, it's great stuff, but like really classic, cool Lucha with really colorful characters and, you know, great, great heat, great brawling. I mean, it's it's great stuff. And you know, if I could get somebody to to watch an IWRG match that never seen one before, well, that's a, a cool thing to do. And uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of great feedback about the book from you know all kinds of different people. And uh, and I've been doing my own podcast, the Way of the Blades podcast. I've had on some really cool guests. Or you know, over the you mentioned Ian Douglas, I've had him on. I've had on. Steve Kern, Dustin Rhodes, Tony Khan, uh, Lars Fredrickson from Rancid, tons of other writers and, and, and uh, other wrestlers. And we've sort of had a chance to like dig into these matches and talk about them. And I've really enjoyed the process of doing that. I've been on a lot of podcasts and stuff before, but never really done my own one before. So that's been kind of a, a neat part of the whole uh, uh, um, process of this book. I'm just going to so become a huge fan of yourself because I'm a podcast junkie. So, I will definitely be oh, looking up your podcast and adding it to my Spotify list. Yeah, yeah, go listen to. I just I had uh, I had Dustin on a couple weeks ago talking about that Dustin Cody match. It was a great interview. I got like uh, I got aggregated. I never was aggregated before because he said some stuff that got people uh, kind of uh, posted about it on the internet talking about that match and his leaving WWE and how that how he ended up in AEW. Uh, I had Tony Khan on and to talk about. Uh, um, Rick Flair versus Ted DiBiase, and he went into pretty in-depth detail about how that uh, you know Mid South uh, promotion affects his booking style in AEW, and uh, so it's been pretty fun. That the podcast has been pretty fun. I've had an opportunity to have on some you know cool guests, and also just a bunch of you know other writers and stuff like that that I know and digging deep into matches. Uh, it's been pretty neat. Uh, the Steve, if you're listening to one, the Steve Kern podcast is insane. Uh, he talks about we talk about the Moon Dogs, fabulous ones feud, but also he just tells like six absolutely psychotic stories of uh, from his wrestling career. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I talk a lot usually on these podcasts, but that was one where I basically just flipped the mic on, asked three questions, and let uh, Steve Kern uh, cook. Uh, so if anybody, I, that's my that's my uh, absolute number one recommendation of all of them. All of them. I've been enjoying doing uh, talking to all kinds of people. Now, when you were putting the, the list together and, all, and you're watching all the matches, you know, what were a couple of the ones that you knew had to go in there without a doubt? Because I know when I picked up the book, first thing I did was I'm like, okay, is Tommy Rich versus Buzz Sawyer in here? Yes, there it is. Because in my opinion, that always has to go in any 
type of books that's going to talk about some of the greatest bloody matches or cage matches of our service, because that is an absolute classic match. What were a couple that you know you knew had to go in, and for what reason? Tully uh, Magnusier was one that I knew had to go in, right? Like that's one of, that's that match is incredible. One of the great, you know, another one of the great sort of classic '80s cage matches, similar to Last Battle of Atlanta. You know, I knew I wanted uh, the Piper Valentine um, dog collar match, although uh, there's also another Piper Valentine match. I have that, that that's a, the one matchup I repeated in the book because uh, I wanted to cover both of those. You know, and then the, there's some, you know, my pick for the, the greatest match of all time is MS1 versus Sangre Chicana from 1983, Hair versus Hair in Arena, Mexico, in their anniversary show. So I was going to definitely write about that. Um, and then there was, you know, some other, like, cooler, like, underground stuff that I wanted to write about. I uh, the There is a War Games match um, from Anarchy Wrestling, which is a promotion in Georgia. Uh, it start, it's been, they've run, there's been wrestling in the, that building in Georgia for like 20 plus years. It started out as NWA Wildside, which is where like AJ Styles, uh, K Crush and, um, all got their start. Abyss started out there and there's a, uh, a war games, a couple of war games matches from that promotion, which I absolutely think are tremendous. And I know hardly anyone's seen. So I knew I definitely wanted to write about those. Uh, for sure. So there was stuff like that. I mean, I, I love uh, Battle Arts and Futen, which is promotion in Japan in the 2000s. So I wanted to I wanted to make sure that I found something from that to write about. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things in my mind. Like I got to cover this. I got to cover. I knew I wanted to. I knew I was very excited about all this French stuff. So I wanted to find a French match that had some blood in it, so I could talk about you know all of the really cool historical stuff there. You know, I don't know. There's, there's, I started with a pretty there was a solid 30 or 40 that were in there for sure before I started to really think about it. Um, you know, I, I wanted to cover, uh, you know, the El Santo, uh, El Hino Santo, El Dandy, their hair match, um, which is, I think, got one of the great iconic visuals in professional wrestling history where El Hino Santo's got El Dandy in a, a camel clutch and a combine, is what he calls it. And there's like an, a river of blood running down El Dandy's neck where he gets put into it. It's like one of my favorite like mo- visual moments in wrestling history is Sando rack- raking back on this on this uh, on this caballo and then, you know, like uh the Amazon of blood coming down all day these back as it happens. I kinda of, when I think about bloody wrestling, I always think about that. I know you guys there's a something called the Muda scale, which is the way that people on the net refer to professional for to bloody wrestling. Uh, and there's a match, the great, a great Muda Hiroshi Hase match that sort of coined the idea of the Muda scale. Like that guy's in a 0.7 Muda or a 1.2 Muda. Uh, so long to worry about that match. Um, that match was a pretty fun match where great Muda almost bleeds to that. So those are some, some of them. Right, I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn. I'm sure he's got a few questions for you. Oh, I think I have a few here with our guest, uh, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches uh, in Wrestling History. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in AWA country. I, I started watching in the early 1980s. And of course, the AWA wasn't a, a company that would shy away from a bloodbath here and there. And one of the bloodbaths, uh, one of the just I remember really well when I was a kid was, and it was a, a big monumental face turn. A lot of the AWA old schoolers still from the eighties uh, talk about this one was when Jerry Blackwell won this big battle royal in the Twin Cities, and he ended up getting uh, jumped by his uh, former friends in the Sheik's army. Uh, and that consisted of another guy who uh, knew his way around the blade, Bruiser Brody. Abdul the Butcher and Sheik Adnan LKC. And for me, I mean, the Battle Royal and the post match beatdown and the interviews they did was just, I mean, it had me hooked. The, the blood thing had me hooked. They had Jerry Blackwell laying uh, in the back, like on a trainer's table at the end. And Ken Resnick was trying to get a few words in with him. The drama was so high about this, but it just that was one of the things that really set the table for this, uh, not only uh, this face turn, but this feud was. Just the massive attack that he got after uh, defying uh, his master and, and winning this battle royal. Yeah, I, I probably underrep. When you talk about 
you know, when you put out a big project like this, one of the things you're, you immediately have a hundred things that you want oh, yeah. to do differently, right? That's the thing about writing a book. So you have to write it and put it out there and then don't, rather than, rather than, uh, so I probably underrepresented the AWA. Uh, and I think it was something that if we do weigh the blade too, I'll probably, uh, I will probably uh, rectify. I've got Henning Bachwinkle mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in there. I just did a podcast on that not that long ago. Actually, that's an incredible match. But I probably should have had. I mean, there's some. One of the things we did over uh, the Death Valley Drivers, we did a series of 1980s sets where we sent people out uh, discs of wrestling, we compiled them, and then sent them out, and people voted. And we did an AWA set. And uh, I probably should have had King Tonga, Mass Superstar, She Got Nine, LKC versus Crusher Blackwell and Sergeant Slaughter from uh, april 85 that should have been in the book probably that's a really really great cage match part of that feud with blackwell turning face mm. um but i probably should have had uh um one of the uh buddy rose doug summers midnight rockers matches in there there's probably there's probably like i said in, in hindsight there's uh yeah blackwell was incredible he, he he was so good uh there's a there's a great match against bag dogs Vashad, which was mm. on tape uh, Algerian death match between him and Blackwell looks really good. Um, uh, I, he's 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 one of those guys I I love. Just a, such a great like. I don't know if he if the if Blackwell's there are a lot of Jerry Blackwell's out there anymore. Right, a guy who's what was he five eight and four hundred pounds. You know, like, just, a, just a great look, great wrestling character looking guy. Right, like, big thick beard. You know. Uh, weirdly incredible athlete for a guy who looks like he can barely get off his couch. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just, you have to love it. You gotta, that's the great, great things about professional wrestling. Is yeah, absolutely. You have, all, all, over the years, all of these different looking weird dudes. Right? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't just a typical bodybuilder athlete type, you know, of today they're trying to pass along as what, what is good and what's a, the image of a wrestler. It was in all shapes and sizes sort of a thing. And like a guy like Jerry Blackwell, who if you do remember the uh, the little uh, interviews he did where he was hammering the nail uh, into the board and doing and also splashing the board yeah <laughs> love that it's a, I mean, it's amazing i mean i mean i mentioned yeah. oh go ahead yeah that's the thing is i think wrestling could use the you know there should be 10 there should be 10 10 less guys who look like they're competing in CrossFit games and 10 more weird freaks like Jerry Blackwell would make wrestling better. If I was given charge of both of the major promotions, I'd fire 10 guys with abs and fire, find 10 freaks and bring those guys in. It would make the whole wrestling better. Could you imagine Jerry Blackwell in a, in a death match against Nick Gage? Oh, it'd be great. Oh. I mean, you know, he'd, he'd be incredible at it. And, you know, there are some of those. There are guys like that, you know, out still. There are some like weird, weird, like freak looking dudes in wrestling anymore. It's just not as, not as prevalent and it's not as, you know, uh, I don't know. You know, territories too. I mean, I grew up again in the wrestling magazine era, man. Those covers, those wonderful covers of the Crimson Masked uh, competitors. But I, I read a lot about and saw a lot of pictures of. And, and this guy is going to be on the, the Mount Rushmore of, of the Blade, is Abdul the Butcher. And some of the stuff that he did in Puerto Rico with Carlos Colon was always uh, always made for some great uh, great articles in the after mags and some even gorier pictures. I mean, you want to talk about guys with roadmaps on the foreheads. Uh, Abby and Carlos Colon uh, could definitely uh, be in the, in line as far as, uh, you know, guys that have those features because of all the stuff they did with the blade through the years to, and again, you're getting an atmosphere like Puerto Rico. That's a different breed of fan down there too. So yeah, talk about that. That has to be one of the places. I mean, if you want to mine for great bloody matches through the years, Puerto Rico has to be on the radar. Yeah. And I, that's a Puerto Rico. And there again, probably could have, I could have had more. Mm-hmm. I've got, uh, I got a Cologne Stan Hansen, uh, oh. uh, match, which is really, really great. Uh, the, some of the best Stan Hansen uh, cage match from 1987. This was incredible uh, I, um, on there. That whole feud of Cologne and Hansen in 87. They had like six matches or something like that. They're all on YouTube. They're all great. I have a really great Invader 1 Al Perez match from 1986, which I think is a match that 
is not nearly as well known as some of the cologne stuff, but it's an absolute barn burner. It may be the only great Alperez match I've ever seen, but it's really <laughs> great. And Invader One is obviously famous for other things. Um, unfortunately. But, you know, was a great was a great, great, great brawler and a great wrestler. Um and, you know, obviously as other other you know, there's we wrestling is a business where you don't necessarily uh you have to sort of separate the art from the artist a little bit to to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh for sure. I've got an Abby I've got Abby and the Sheik against the Funks in all Japan is my Abby representation uh, in the book. Uh, and that's a really great match. Mm-hmm. It's a really great example of Abby is like this marauding force of insanity. And the Sheik, of course, is a, uh, is, you know, a famous, it's famous for that as well. And they're a really fun team of like, you know, like serial killers run loose in an arena trying to murder, you know, Terry and Dory. And Terry especially is like, such an incredible baby face in that match. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's, you know, I, I think Terry, I was talking about this the other day on my pod. Uh, um, and I think Terry Funk's, it changes all the time. And I have him as my guy. Like you said, who's the greatest wrestler of all time. Mm-hmm. I think my answer is Terry Funk. Oh. You know, you have different answers sure. every time you ask that question, but I think he's leading, he's leading the pack for me right now. Uh. And it was really fun in the book. I, had a lot of Terry Funk. He's the guy that's in this the most. And just the variety of what he does in his performances in all these matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, got him carrying against Harley Race in 77 in Houston, which is like a classic old school 70s, 80s world title match. Right? And mm-hmm. then I've got him as this conquering baby face teaming with his brother against Abby and the Sheik. And then I have him as like a marauding lunatic against Ric Flair in 89, the Great American Bash, where he's this crazed heel and, you know, looks like he's going to try to fight every single person in the audience. Mm-hmm. And then I have him sort of as a, a touring indie guy. I remember it's like a match against Eddie Gilbert uh, in 1992, with, where Terry Funk is kind of this, you know, like a legend facing you know, like a, a protege in Eddie Gilbert. And then I've got him uh, in his famous match against Onita in FMW uh, in 1993, which again is sort of this incredible babyface performance mm-hmm. as he's in this insane, uh, at, dropped into this insane atmosphere against Onita with exploding barbed wire and a baseball stadium full of crazy fans. And you know, it's funny, so I have like, there's six funk matches in this book, but I could have written a whole book of 100 funk matches. Oh, easy. And they would all have been. Yeah, they would all have been like, you know, there was certainly a half a, I could name off the top of my head five that I probably should have put in there. Mm-hmm. Well, that, and, this, this uh, is, this no, is all this fodder for the next, uh, it's like you, you got yourself a series is what you've gotten right now here. This was merely the, uh, the first part of the meal, man. I think you could probably, if you had the, the, the time, uh, and, and you could probably uh, spin off a nice collection of these, these Way of the Blade series books because there is so many. It's always when you get something done, you're like, oh man, I wish I would have covered this one, but maybe I'll do it next time. Well, and for this, is like it's almost never ending because there was so many great matches, and so many things that got color. And you know, uh, one of the things you mentioned, I just heard Eddie Gilbert. Uh, I, when I think about Eddie Gilbert, I think about some of those uh, shows that Joel Goodhart had put on in the uh, Pennsylvania area of greater Philadelphia area. Uh, the, the the series of matches that Eddie had with Cactus Jack were absolutely insane. They had different little yeah, uh, so- themes for everything. I mean, there was a lot of blood that was uh, shed between those two guys in those the series of matches that were just amazing and very uh, much a precursor to what ECW evolved into in that same part of the country. Right, the funk matches from one of those good heart promotions. And yeah, I could have put Gilbert, those Gilbert Cactus Jack matches in there for sure. Those are great. They had like a two out of three falls one to remember. <laughs> Uh, that, like where they had like a different crazy step for every fall. It was like a barbed wire fall and a fall's got anywhere fall or something like that. Just nuts. And yeah, it was those guys who felt, I mean, two, two real interesting minds and in professional wrestling. I think it felt relatively hamstrung in what they had were able to do up to that point, trying to kind of show people Gilbert, you know, the guy who always would get the criticism that he was too short uh, to really be a, a top guy in a video during his WCW, you know, when he was in the NWA and WCW, and he coming off of that. And then, you know, obviously uh, fully trying to sort of show that he should be more than a sideshow figure, right? Uh, that he was a guy who 
belonged in the, in the top of cards and belonged in main events. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he was, yeah. and Foley too, it was almost like he was like the uh, heir apparent to Brody as far as, you know, when Brody would take all of these different matches and he worked with all kinds of different bookers and the independents and, uh, of course, a lot during the territories. It seemed like that was kind of the natural uh, successor was was uh, Mick Foley when he was Cactus Jack because he'd do so many crazy things. Would it be a, uh, you know, he'd be in the death matches over in Japan. He'd be in WCW. He'd also work USW and he did a lot of independent shots too in the, in the East Coast. I mean, this was a guy that I, I think that you know before he got signed up by the WWF and WWE, he was sort of the, in that Brody mode of like you know going out there and making his living and, and finding that he could as a as a true independent contractor. It's interesting that you get a lot of comparisons between those two guys. I think that's what you see a lot is the Brody full comparison. I think in some ways it was very different wrestlers. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a giant Brody guy. Brody's not in my book. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll be in the sequel. He's a guy, you know, that, you know, obviously I always thought looked way cooler, like in magazines than whenever I watched the matches. Like, you know, like, oh my God, that guy was incredible. But I mean, he would eat people up, Brody. And Foley obviously was a guy who was, you know, a, a wrestler that was based around like bumping and bleeding and making his opponents look good. Like you, Brody was a guy that you rarely ever looked good if you were in there with Brody. He no. would, he'd chew you up and uh, wouldn't sell. And, and you know, whereas Foley's a guy who's gonna, you know, you're gonna drop kick him and he's gonna fly over the top rope and land on his head on the concrete. So it's like they kind of looked alike, but it's, it couldn't have. In some ways, they were completely different wrestlers when it actually came to what they did in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a big Foley guy. He was like one of my first favorite you know when i first started doing this whole tape trading wrestling writing thing he was one of my guys from that whole ecw period especially where he would come in and have these incredible uh i used to watch ecw in my dorm room in college mm-hmm. and during that period we'd have these like absolutely like they were al pacino monologues or something uh on ecw tv where he'd be talking about you know how uh, this lesson he learned from his father, how much he hated the fans. I don't know if you remember that. He's mm-hmm. some of the best promo work of all time. He's well, so yeah. compelling. And then you watch him in the ring and be like, this guy's up. And you could tell there where, where, where Terry Funk came into play as far as being an influence for Mick, too, is the way he told his stories, the way those interviews, uh, you know, it left you wanting more, but you never, you just, you were right there listening to his every little word because, you know, Mick just had just a way with the wordplay, and of course we've we've saw that later on with his writing career. But I think a little bit of too of t- sprinkle in with Terry Funk uh, w- with Mick as far as learning to tell that story, you know, getting people to pulling the people in, and then just doing something so goddamn crazy at the same time. You're like, ah, this is great. This is why I love this stuff. I've got the uh, Vader matches. Is, is, uh, is it my Cactus Jack match in the book? Uh, the one from. Uh, WCW Saturday night. Oh, yeah. Where Vader, like, where he were fully, he's an absolute lunatic. Tells Vader, just hit him as hard as you can, mean you can. Break me. Break me. And it's like watching, it's like, uh, it's the craziest thing that anybody does in, this, in my book might be telling Vader, just go ahead and punch me as hard as you can in the fight. Because <laughs> you watch it, like that match, especially there was a, a, an uncut version that got released on a on like a WWE DVD where it's like not the edited version that got aired on TV where you can just see close-ups of Vader just breaking Foley's jaw and cheekbone with those punches. It is absolutely insane. Mm. Uh, like that's crazier than any of the bumps and barbed wire, getting yourself set on fire or falling into glass, just having a 425 pound X NFL lineman lean, you know, leaning into full force right hands. <laughs> uh, completely nuts. Oh. Um, and I also have like a match that I don't think as many people have seen where it's uh, fully Kevin Nash from TNA in 2009, which is this weird end of the career fully match that's like incredible against Kevin Nash. He's not a guy who I don't think anybody is necessarily uh, clamoring to watch <laughs> in ring Kevin Nash. Enjoy Kevin Nash as a guy existing in the world but never as much an in-ring wrestler but this is like the weird tna kind of nash uh miracle match uh, that i don't think a lot of people saw i only i mean somebody recommended it to me and i kind of like like you want me to watch a 2009 
Kevin Nash TNA match. <laughs> I'm curious now. Like, oh, you got to watch it. That's <laughs> good. It's really good. It's very, it weirdly a very similar match to the Vader match, <sighs> and like a like a great out of nowhere end of the career performance by Foley. And actually, really the most dangerous Kevin Nash has ever looked. I'm going to bring Mike McCurdy back into the conversation here for this final leg of the, this edition of Wrestling Memories with our guest, author Phil Schneider. Uh, the Way of the Blade. Uh, it's a great book. Uh, 100 of the greatest bloody matches in wrestling history, of which I have a feeling we're going to have like The Way of the Blade volumes 1 through 12. Mike, back to you. I'll buy all of them. Um, you mentioned Terry Funk and Onita and the exploding barbed wire uh, match from Japan. What is your opinion of uh, the current, you know, trend with the uh, the deathmatch wrestling? And do you think there's a point where it's getting to, they're just going too far? I, it's not something I, I love. I've got some friends of mine who are really into it. I, I think some of the stuff, the stuff with like syringes and um, and skewers and people get poked with stuff. I don't know. That, that I usually kind of turns me off. I'm not an enormous light tubes guy. It can be done well, and there's some really cool matches in that style. Uh, I don't necessarily think of... I mean, honestly, right? You gotta... If you, I, it's That stuff's not more dangerous than all Japan wrestling in the 1990s. That's way more dangerous, right? Like, you're gonna... It's, it's, mm-hmm. you're, it's a lot safer to take a, a flat back bump to a light tube uh, uh, thing than it is to take, like, a suplex on the top of your head. Or, or, you know, like what, or, or what, you know, somebody like, to, or having, you know, uh, Daisuke Akeda kick you in the face. Um, so I don't know about the, I don't necessarily, I think most of the people who do that kind of thing are, are, are doing it relatively safely. I, it's like all kinds of wrestling. I think there's good stuff and bad stuff. I don't have very much, you know, a, pro- a probable sequel will, will probably include some, uh, some stuff from the you know, match remount match or Nick Gage match uh, in there. I was an Onita guy. I always liked Onita. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. But I, 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 I'm always going to like a couple guys throwing, throwing hands, Lawler Mantel, rather than a bunch of people, you know, setting up elaborate things for them to fall through. Um, that's my big aesthetic critique of a lot of it is that sometimes it feels like people just kind of wandering around in between six or seven gigantic stunts uh, versus like a fight. And sometimes they can do it where it's a fight and then I like it usually. So it's, it's like if it, if it resembles like a, if it resembles just, you know, a, a, a brawl, like a great wrestling brawl with some crazy stunts, then I'm fine with that. If it just feels like some guys are killing some, you know, grabbing each other with the hair by the hair and walking around the ring to set themselves up to fall through something that usually doesn't do a ton for me. Right. There's a difference between when you have a match where the blood kind of accentuates what's happening in your ring or adds to it. And then you have a match where you just have blood for the sake of blood to get the crowd reaction. I'm prefer the accentuating over the, let's just have blood to get the crowd to go, Holy shit. And whatever. You know, there's there's no point in it. Blood just for blood does not serve any purpose. Yeah, but I mean, there are some there are there there can be great matches in that style of of wild of that wild uh, sort of current U.S. I, there is some stuff I really enjoy. One of my matches I like the most this year. It's on our we do an ongoing uh, match of the year list. It's over at Sabuda Kaida. One of the matches that's pretty high is a Mickey Knuckles versus Akira death match, like from some. I don't know, warehouse somewhere in Michigan. I mean, it really doesn't look like, like a seedy thing that is in that, certainly in that current style of U.S. death matching, but fast match wrestling, but it really is like, it's worked like an absolutely wild Mid-South brawl. So there is some stuff that they can, you know, that you can find in that. So like every, there are gems and sometimes you have to dig through a lot of, of mud to find them, but there are gems in kind of every wrestling style and every promotion, even if it's not like the, you know, like, even if most of it isn't your style. Hell, I have a 2009 TNA match in my book, right? That's some rough wrestling for the most part, but, you know, you can find some cool stuff there. It's like, get anywhere. I think one of the most interesting things I've seen was on a, was it an indie show? They did a match where you had to bust open your opponent before you could pin them. So it was not a first blood match. It was, they called it beyond first blood or something like that, but 
it made it for interesting because the guys just went out there and full on, it was just a full on fight. There was no scientific wrestling, but the concept of you had to bust your opponent open before you could score a pinfall or submission, I thought was an interesting concept. And that's kind of using it as a way to get the audience into it because you're looking for the blood because you realize as soon as that guy's bleeding, he could lose the match. So it kind of, that kind of led an interesting dynamic. To this. I'm somebody who enjoys watching, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson movies, but I watch I like watching dumb action movies too. So it's like it's like, it's like everything, right? You know, it's, it's a balance. They're the the closest thing I think to that style of, of the current U.S. death style in the book um, is uh, Sammy Callahan versus Danny Havoc from CZW Cage of Death in 2009. That is a really, really, really great version of that glass and huge bumps and like they do just they whatever they they build this cage of death and it's like you know an amazing job of architecture of this crazy thing and these guys both go you know absolutely nuts and crazy bumps but also really great insane like fist fight brawling where you wouldn't mind seeing those match these guys in a match uh you can remove all that stuff and it would still be a great match they would talk about the, the tournament of death that went to a long time ago but we can move on I was thinking I went to the, I went to a tournament in town, CW tournament down once. Uh, me and my buddy Tom uh, Karagazner is actually working with me on the next book I'm doing. We did a road trip and we did a CZW tournament of death during the day, and then saw a Turo Gotti fight in Atlantic City at night was our double feature. And going to one of those tournaments live, it was a pretty good one. I had one of the matches. A Necro Butcher Green Phantom, I think is actually one of the better U.S. death matches ever. But by the end of those shows, and it's a whole show, it really does, really do, it really do get burned out. Like, I remember the finish of that thing was, like, Necro Butcher gets, like, uh, choke-bombed off the top of a, like, building through, like, eight tables of glass and fire. And, like, by the end of it, it was just like, oh, well, that was crazy. Let's go, uh, let's get in the car. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, my personal experience going to one of those shows live is by the end of it, no matter what they did, it couldn't get any reaction out of me. <laughs> like, three hours in, I was like, yeah, well, it's like that guy almost died there. I hope he didn't die. Where can they find a copy of your book? Where can they find your blog? Where can they find your, uh, you know, your podcast? I'm easy to find all of them. The book is Amazon, so just go on Amazon, look for Way of the Blade. And the podcast, similarly, is on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, whatever you use to listen to podcasts, uh, Way of the Blade on that. Uh, the blog is sagutakaida.blogspot.com. It's kind of a little old school that we're still doing a blog in 2021, but uh, we've been writing. So we write some, me and the other people that I work with on that, there's something new on that blog every day and there's been uh something new every day for you know like 15 years so they've got a huge archive of us talking about all kinds of crazy things we've got a we're going all on tuesday is when we're reviewing all of the french wrestling and we put up links to everything on you we we upload that french stuff to youtube and you can just link that on the look at that on the blog fridays on the blog we do a thing called new footage friday where basically we find things that we don't think have really been out there before in like the tape trading world or uh, matches that we don't think people we didn't people didn't really know existed, and then we post uh, those and, and review those. So every week we try to find something we don't think anybody's seen uh, and write about that. Uh, so that's kind of a fun uh, part of that. Like we found out uh, last week, we found a big boss man match from the Indies in 2004 in a match with Yuki Ishikawa in. Fugo Fugo Ujemi and some chains at a tiny uh, store in Japan in 2018. Like just weird stuff that we don't think anybody's ever seen. And here's a chance to talk about that. So that's kind of the stuff we do. It's good. Okay, you know. uh, and then the book is available on Amazon. And I think folks, uh, certainly if they had listened to this, uh, would enjoy the book. You should find some opportunities to find out about some wrestlers you'd know about, matches you'd know about. Illustrations are really great. I think people will dig it. Well, I know I really enjoyed the book, and I was you know, glad to have you on as a guest this week to talk about you know, Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Wrestling History. But I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn for the uh, end of the show. Well, yeah, boy, that hour flew on by. A big thank you again to Phil Schneider. Great book, Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Wrestling History. For Phil, my co-host, the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories.